Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, exploring eco-psychology, becoming an openness, and finding your refuge. This is Obstacle Course. Let's go. Finding your, did you say finding your refuse? Refuge. 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 I think it's French. (laughs) Yeah, it's something. We don't hear that word a lot anymore. No. So what's a refuge? Refuge. Robin's refuge, you will soon learn, listeners, was running in the woods. Yeah. And it's that place, that sanctuary, uh, I think a place where you can go back to, to become whole once again, to recover and learn about yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. It's tricky running in the woods. Have you ever tried to just run blindly in the woods? Like not on a trail or anything? Okay, so trail. There is a trail involved. <laughs> just, the, the way you said running in the woods, I mean, I'm running picturing through the Lord woods. of the Rings or Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> remember Last of the Mohicans? I don't remember Last of the Mohicans. Why? Like, aren't you? Well, I guess you're 10 years younger. Sure. Yeah. That is like the quintessential movie for running in the woods. I mean, these guys who can just... Flat out run in the woods, and I always wondered when I was watching, how are they not falling at this point? Have you read Born to Run? Yes. Fantastic Oh, book. I love that book, man. We probably should have brought that up on the podcast yeah. with a, someone who was a national team runner for 17 years. <laughs> and who came in barefoot, too. Did you notice that? I think she just took her shoes off when she got No, that's car. false. I saw her get out of the car, and she, she was in bare feet. Wow. Like, did she drive that way? Robin? Did I don't know. We'll you, did have to, you drive that way? We'll follow up. Yeah. But, Interesting observation. Because yeah. so in Born to Run, they follow the Tarahumara, yeah. uh, a native population in northern Mexico, right. who are helped inspire the barefoot running exactly. fanaticism that, that took place. And I, so I'm a proponent of the barefoot running, and I run in, uh, I call them to, toe shoes. Yeah. Yeah they're the five fingers yeah yeah and they're great I, it completely transformed how i ran and i i feel like it's the natural movement of the body and it yeah. allows us to run in that way rather than landing on a two inch piece of foam where your heel strikes before your toe which isn't how we were designed and then your knees break down and you get shin splints and well all that good stuff. we might not get nike as a sponsor now although their nike freeze are pretty good what's your best 5k time i don't know if i've ever actually ran a 5k What's your best 10K time? Best 10K time, uh, 38, just over 38 minutes. That's insane. So what is that per K? I mean, we could do something. It's under here. four. Is that under well, four minutes a K? I mean, you divide it by... <laughs> I mean, that was a real <laughs> easy one for you. I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Normally, I don't like to just throw mathematics on people without any notice, but that, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah, I mean, we were in the company of an Olympian, and there's, there's probably <laughs> Indeed. people out here who are are faster and and uh, no but that's, that's so fine. fast under four minutes okay that that's well well above average that's great yeah i have an ability to run it yeah getting back to refuge oh um, yeah <laughs> that yeah. was going for runs is one of my best ways of reconnecting with my identity and hmm. and relieving stress for sure part of you when or part of myself when i'm experiencing stress is is like oh distraction numbing but again that's dealing with the symptoms and not the cause and it doesn't actually allow the stress to be relieved it just gets covered up it's throwing a blanket over it or throwing something else over it but to actually relieve the stress it's doing something that's 
stimulating the body and the mind and that's a, an actual effective way of of helping relieve that stress so instead of beer or breaking bad you'll do barefoot running exactly See what i did there i just yeah you used some alliteration yeah which people love not everybody just like rhyming <laughs> <laughs> what what where's your refuge yeah, I, I talk about it a little bit on the podcast in this episode. So I don't want to spoil it too much, but but I too enjoy running. In fact, I ran for years. I, I hated it in the beginning. I hated it, but the only way I got into it was I became competitive with myself. Mm. When I say competitive, I don't mean like on any stage whatsoever. But um, you know, I have the Strava. I love the Strava. Do you do you do like a Strava thing when you run? Like something that tells you your your per k pace? Yeah, I have a Garmin that records that oh yeah and do do you find yourself like really following that like oh shoot i'm, I'm at 434 and i no. want to be at 410 no only the only time when i've ever even been aware of that i like to keep it to look at after but because i've never been a highly competitive runner mm. uh, i i would when i was training for a marathon i would pay a little bit of attention to the split times but just to kind of know if i was coming out too fast more than anything <laughs> right most people don't have that problem <laughs> no well yeah speed isn't yeah usually it's something else but but yeah it's I, I i that kept me interested anyways and and just you know comparing to last times and then also the cool thing that strava does which you would know if you have strava i think you'd get into it if you had strava to be honest it's for biking as well yeah um is there's routes in strava and they have like the king for each route and you can see what their time is and then you you have a benchmark and then you can take down the king or, or the queen. I'm not sure why it's just the king, but whatever. Uh, you can take down the person who's the best, we'll say. And uh, and then your name's up there. And, and and then that person also gets a message from Strava that's yeah. like, they took you down. So that, that's all kind of cool. And I love stats. And obviously, you're looking at me like I'm, you know, egomaniac or whatever. But No, just uh, tapping into the competitive personality yeah, type, which is yeah. often a characteristic of a high performer. Yeah, exactly. Like yourself. But at the same time, one curious thing I've noticed with running is Robin talks about pacing and how that how when she started her her big race, which you'll hear about, all she was focused on was just starting with a nice pace. She wasn't going to come flying out of the gate. And and I've noticed with running, it's funny because you know you say you did a thir- so say I did a forty five minute ten k. That's probably more more accurate to to what I would average. It's amazing how in one race um, you could start off really quick and then totally tire yourself out by K6 and then the last 4K are are an absolute slog and then you end up with a similar time as you did if you just, you know, did a nice pace, pace all the way through. So one of the things you learn with running is you can make it somewhat comfortable and end with a pretty similar time as you would have than trying to go for broke in the first 5K. And it really adds to the enjoyment of the whole thing. And speaking of joy and running, for me, I think a big thing is learning to just shut off the thing, right? Learning to shut off your phone and just run. And that's that's what Robin, you know, I think talks a lot about. So shut off the Strava thing that you were just yeah, exactly. <laughs> talking about how much you like it? Yeah, and I kind of went on about it there. But but truly, I think I think the joy really comes from learning to just be in the environment be in the nature or running up the mountain and not be thinking about is this a good time because that, yeah. that really does take away from it i i completely agree I, yeah i'm 
a far less competitive person than I used to be. Cause no. it, it used to definitely be a motivator for me, but if in terms of relieving stress, um, I think it's the, the presence of where you are and what you're doing, whether you're running, walking, whatever it, that, that's the, the being present and, and listening to the, the sounds of the birds and the mm-hmm. wind going through the trees and the, the smell of the wet rocks. Yeah, that, sure. That's what... What do wet rocks smell like? Like dry rocks, but wetter. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I can't count how many times I've run through the forest and thought, oh, the smell of wet rocks <laughs> on a balmy Saturday morning is just enough to get me going. Well, I'll, the next time I smell a really wet, wet, rock. wet rock, I'll send you a message. I'll tell you to come down from Duncan and, and give it a sniff. It's funny. They have, a, they have new car smell. And mm-hmm. they have blueberries and they have, you know, bread, but they don't have wet rock yet. <laughs> I think maybe you're onto something. Yeah, we've got a marketing opportunity oh, there. Wet rock. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Sorry. We've Sorry talked about, about No, it's a fair point. Okay. Um, we've talked about running a lot, but the and Robin is an Olympic runner. Yeah. But we don't actually talk about running that much in the episode. So if you're not a runner and you're, you're not like, relating, pass on this. Yeah. If you're interested in psychology or you're wanting to get unstuck yes this is a a really incredible episode and robin is one of the deeper thinkers and very philosophical very aware of psychology and what motivates us and and what how we can better understand ourselves she's a a lesson in self-awareness and value systems for sure value systems are something that have come up in this episode a number of times and in some of the recent ones that we've done and, yeah. and when we were at the conference this yes. past weekend, yeah. which is an episode that will we'll have just come out when you are listening to this, listeners, values are so huge and so integral in people being fulfilled. So if you're wondering how to get in touch with your value systems and you want to do a simple exercise, I'll just put this out there. If, if anyone who's listening to this is like, okay, I get it. Know your values and live within them be aligned that makes sense but how do i do that if you're interested in that send us a message and we can provide some tools and exercises on how to do that yeah for sure it's funny because you know andrew talks about the depth of robin we even talk about small talk and how we all value um living deep conversations and at one point (laughs) andrew tries to throw robin off the scent because she really is one of the more articulate wise um, together people that that we've heard from and and andrew says at one point you gotta have some vices <laughs> he's like to tell just he's just digging he's desperate he, just show your humanity god damn it robin show your humanity and and i think i think one of her responses was something to the effect of sometimes i just learn too much <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, robin if you're listening to this we're just this is good-natured ribbing but uh um, yes, yeah, she, she. What a remarkable woman, and and she's 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 now a teacher. She teaches with Jason. She's a therapist and does such wonderful work. And of course, a two-time Olympian. So it's a very impressive guest and, and individual, and and made for a great interview. Yeah, I'm genuinely excited to listen to this interview myself yeah. because there's a lot of learning to be done, and I can't wait. And and we're excited to share it with you. Yeah, and Jason, if you want to reveal some of Robin's uh, vices, um, feel free just to. Yeah, we don't do a call-in show, which which we should try that one time yeah, and maybe just we see will. what happens. 
but yeah you can hit us up just so we know that we have a chance (laughs) to be more fully human (laughs) all right enjoy this one everyone thanks for listening Yeah, this is almost the second half of a two-part episode, so yeah. uh, just to give a, a full introduction, welcome Robin Marr to the podcast, and we're, we're thrilled to have you on. Uh, we had Jason Dorland on a, a number of episodes ago, and uh, you're our second Olympian on, but our first two-time Olympian. Yeah. We've met a couple of times, but it's a it's a thrill and to finally be able to sit down and, and, and get into your own story. Well, thank you, John and Andrew. It's a great honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, yeah. So one of the places we were interested to start was uh, the 94 Commonwealth Games. And not only because we're sports junkies, but but also uh, it was, I think it's indicative of parts of your personality and your your mentality when competing and also just uh, running is such a huge part of your life. We heard someone else's perspective of the 94 race here in Victoria, but we'd love to hear your own. Well, Jason is very honoring and celebratory of of how that touched him. And one of the, the beautiful things for me about the Commonwealth Games was that it it was a shared experience. I'm really grateful for the rich journey that I've had in athletics um, to mature as a person through mind-body-spirit integration. And I have had incredibly rich moments in my training and in preparation and in races, but when you have all of that come together on a stage where you share that experience with um, a huge group of people, just uh, the richness that comes from that shared experience brings it to a whole different level. So there, at that point in my journey, um, all athletes have had undulating um, roads in their, their athletic pursuits, and mine was no different than that. Um, there were some sharper <laughs> downs um, in the, the journey up to, to that year. Um, health challenges, compromised immune system. In January, February of that year, I saw a sports med doc who said uh, I had chronic fatigue type symptoms and said that based on my blood profile, it would probably take years to get back to international competition. And at that point, I just wanted to reclaim my health and the outcome of athletic preparation was a big question mark. So I let go of the outcome and just wanted to focus on making the most of every day reclaiming my health and seeing where that brought me and so with that um, it was a matter of just continually showing up and making the most of every moment and I had other junctures on my journey where I had uh, failed to achieve my external goals Uh, the 88 Olympics trials I finished fourth top three go I didn't hit my time mark and I'd had blinders on in preparation for that. So um, I was just in a space where it was really important to let go of the outcome and to focus on how I showed up and be open to the possibilities. And with the 
undulating that happened immediately before the Commonwealth Games. I was very much in that space um, leading into it. And I remember coming into the stadium with a mix of excitement, exhilaration, but uncertainty. Um, and yet at another place, just feeling that it was going to be a wonderful experience and letting go into that. But Jason and did so, not think it was a good, ex- like it was going to be a wonderful experience. <laughs> he talked about his doubt and saying he thought yeah. this was a colossal mistake because if you uh-huh. can't be your best, then why even compete is was what I remember him saying. <laughs> right. At the time, he had a very different mindset yes. about how you uh, approach competition. And so... Uh, my orientation was disorienting in Jason's world and uh, didn't Mm. quite make sense. Um, But it made sense to me. Mm. Um, And um, I was just clear about it was time to just... um, I I wouldn't say I was an optimist. I was an openist. I was Mm. open to how great it could be, but sometimes it doesn't work out the way we hope. And Mm. uh, there was a place of openness and acceptance to that as well. That... um, It's about showing up. Mm. And I had a a full heart. I felt really grateful for the opportunity to be there. And I let that come into me. And I let all the support uh, and people who had supported me come into me. And I felt the crowd. And as I focused to prepare to get on the track, just felt that energy build. And as I was racing, I felt the energy of the crowd. And... It was just a moment where that openness facilitated life happening through me in a way that I was part of something more. And when I entered that space, at any point, it just evokes a depth of gratitude that is humbling. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not that I'm that small, it's that life is that big. And to be connected to that flow of life feels like a profound gift mm-hmm. and so so walking up it, to the blocks you know mm-hmm. they're they're about to you know sh- you know shoot the starter's pistol when you're when you're sitting there do you remember feeling optimistic about w- what this race was going to bring did you have a sense of you know how you were going to place or was it just lost in the moment i'm just going to enjoy what i love to do and that's run and we'll see what happens I certainly didn't have uh, a clarity about how I was going to place. Mm. Um, I had a good feeling in my body, Mm. and I was grateful for that. Um, I didn't a lot in in the week leading up, but I know that things can shift quickly. So I was just open to what could be, Mm. and I felt good in my body. There was a strength and an energy that felt good, and so I knew that felt good. And there was a confidence that this was going to be a great experience, but I didn't know how that translated to place and time. Mm. I just, uh, for me, there was a practice of attunement, of just sharpening the focus of what's alive in me and how can I work with that? Mm. Where do I feel good? What needs attention? So um, the outcome uh, was not defined or clear and it, it, there's a, re, a continuing let, letting go of that. How do I feel in this moment? How can I work with that? And how can I fully embody this moment in a way that allows me to be with this experience in a way that I'm responsive to what's possible in this moment? Hmm. So 
this is such a, a beautiful story and, and uh, I, I want to attack it from it, but well, maybe attack's not the right word. <laughs> it's not really your I want to be your open sense. to it. Yeah, <laughs> but I want to investigate a few different mm-hmm. angles here. But just for, there's probably going to be some listeners who haven't heard Jason's episode or, mm-hmm. or maybe aren't familiar with it. But let's shift into the race a little bit. So, so mm-hmm. if you could tell the story. So it, it started and... And you weren't leading the pack exactly. What did so you think is there? The race went out quickly, and um, I was focused on finding my own rhythm within the race. So my own rhythm at that point was <laughs> pretty far back in the race. Um, so I went with that. That's and because I also didn't know what I was capable of, erring on the side of caution can be better than going out too hard. I've run 1500 meter races where I've had awesome 1400 meter races and truly lost the gas in that last 50 meters in ways that (laughs) I left it all on the track. But so there's there's a little bit of um, calculating to be sensitive to that. Um, So erring on slightly conservative can can help. So there was that. Um, I do remember a slight attention to, um, I had people, athletes have different rituals around their uniforms. Um, Jason liked to be sweaty and grimy and whatever when he got to the line. I like to feel fresh. So I'd put my racing singlet and stuff on after I'd warmed up and whatever Mm. and put it on. And I hadn't worn this racing uh, uniform before. I I put it on once, did some high knee rises in... um, at home and hadn't worked out in it at all. So in the first couple hundred meters, my um, uniform went up the back of me <laughs> in a way that was a bit of a shock. So I quickly tried to loop it back down over my glutes and it went back and I had a moment of, it's not coming back, get over it and and race on. That's awesome. So, um, so uh, incredible brevity to attention to that and then letting it go. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, the, the race went out really quickly. I settled into my own rhythm, trying not to also get, um, shuffled around with, um, the physicality of the race with people moving and just finding a rhythm that I could work with that, um, I was attuned and, and working with the rhythm of the race and my own, body and what was happening and paying attention to that so in terms of the rhythm and, and running mm-hmm. in your rhythm which i i can appreciate I, i'm i haven't been on team canada yet <laughs> but <laughs> but i've run a, i've run a fair bit and He's it's a great runner I, I, it's mm-hmm. been part of my life i played soccer a lot i've run in, um a dozen 10ks and marathon and stuff but uh, so i can get that that runner's flow and it feels really good to be in your rhythm yeah but your rhythm at that point in the race was you were kind of trailing behind the main pack and, and in the back of the race. So I'm wondering if when the shift happened that you started making up ground, did you change your rhythm? Was there, did you notice a, a, a different feeling in yourself? Was there a renewed energy? Were you feeding off the crowd? What, what changed? It was a mix of that. And it, it was a constant process of attunement and just feeling into where I am in the race. And the energy was there, the leg quickening was possible. Um, I was able to um, sort of 
just adapt into the race as it was unfolding, feeling the energy within my body. And I just felt uh, a sense of flow with myself and um, a kinesthetic sense that there was more and just uh, responding to that. So I was gearing up as I felt the capacity was there as the race was unfolding and just continued to dial into that and feel my way and the rhythm that felt right as the race unfolded and that continued to be there there was more in the well so I kept uh, gearing up as there was more there well and, and we can literally feeling. see it on your face right yeah there's a picture we've seen that picture yeah. with this look of of sereneness almost a mm -hmm. look of joy mm -hmm. mid mid race yes and and I know Jason kind of talked about that in his own way <laughs> you know he made a joke if you know, I would never look like that mid-race. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> He's like, in fact, if, if I yeah. saw a picture of myself like that, I'd tear it up, you know. Yes. But for you, you know, I, I think you had a couple laps left and, and you have this look of, of like you're enjoying it. And, and I think I think you did. You were. It was a very expansive state. Yeah. Uh, profound sense of peace and gratitude right. and expansion. Um, so... People don't always associate those with high intensity activities and yet there was an incredible sense of flow and energy mm -hmm. um, that accompanied that. So um, it's it's a beautiful experience to feel like there's almost an inexhaustibility to the tap-in mm -hmm. yeah. of flow. Right. Uh, it feels like a gift in itself to experience that. And there's just a sense of expansion and generosity that flows from that. Mm. I know when I when I have it, when I'm on the trail in the woods, there's just a depth of gratitude and generosity. Um, and I would use the word, there's a humility that comes with it because it doesn't, I feel like I'm a part of it, that it's not, it's not me, it's, it's life. Mm. And... I'm a part of that in a way that feels like a profound gift to be a part of. And it just evokes a desire to share and be generous. Mm -hmm. And so for me, tapping into that place, um, the practice of athleticism to know that gift from the inside out is to live fully and freely in a way that's life enriching. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a journey worth taking that makes sport relevant. But to the extent that it's about um, other things um, it doesn't interest me so much tapping into that quality of being in that place feels like life in, living large in life they talk about the runner's high mm -hmm. you know it seems like that's a much more even expansive version of that yeah and and so deeply connected with your values mm -hmm. that, that's what I'm getting as well is that you're it's not about you and it's not about placing or or beating other people it's about the fact that you were feeling gratitude that you were connected and and that's what was motivating you and the fact that that sense of awareness in the middle of a race in front of screaming fans and competing for team canada that deep profound awareness I, i'm very curious about because it's it seems unique and i'm wondering how you might have cultivated that but but I do want to hear the, the end of the race. So um, if you can take us back in there and, and uh, after you, you notice that, that shift, um, 
but let's uh, let's bring us down through the final laps. Right. So the shift kept being there's more there, there's more there, and continually to move with that and just feeling the capacity to continue the acceleration with a lot of energy. And I, I know I remember um, I described it as feeling like the big hand of the crowd pushing me mm-hmm. because I just felt uh, a sense of movement that transcended my body in in that experience it really did feel like a shared experience and so um there are a number of variables that lended itself to um, being in that space but uh the openness with which i went into that in the space of unknowing um it's it's interesting because sometimes you hear dialogue that you have to know that you're gonna be the top at the top and that you have to have unquestioning confidence and that wasn't <laughs> what showed up on on the start line. The confidence was that I was going to be engaged. I was going to show up and participate. And I was open to what was possible. But um, there was great uncertainty about what that was going to look like as far as uh, concrete results. So um, uh, it, it just... It's fun to compete and to play with those variables, but when you have a taste of that bigger space, the richness of that is so fulfilling and life-enriching that that other stuff feels rather small in comparison to the gifts that it can offer. So to me, sport is one vehicle because we're playing with our bodies (laughs) and our minds and, and spirit and how those fuse together. So it's a great opportunity to, um, have awareness building practices as a part of that Um, and sometimes it has nothing to do with that so uh, to me um, our daughter's a prime example both of us have gone the path of elite athletics and we could care less if that's what she chooses if it fills her heart then great because there is an opportunity for for rich living but for me, the, the bigger question is, what, ma- what makes your heart sing? What brings you to, to life in a very full way? And how can you tap into that and play with it in a way that leaves your own heart fulfilled and the gifts that you have to give um, brought forward to life? So what, what I'm hearing you saying there is on those last few laps, which really aided your, your kick, so to speak, mm-hmm. the push of the crowd, the moment being open to the moment letting go you use that phrase a few times letting go of other things um and being pushed along by this great joy and the great sense of community not oh i gotta beat angela she's ahead of me i gotta catch her i gotta take her down can't let her win it wasn't i don't hear like this competitive kind of you know i have to take this person down but it was just more of a caught up in the moment and the moment finished you where you where you ended up finishing mm-hmm. that's what i'm hearing yes and competition it can be fun there's um it's a wonderful feeling to feel that fitness and to go fast i love the feeling of going fast yeah. so i appreciated that for me um there's Jason probably talked about competeer the spirit of the root of competition to strive together yes Along my journey, I certainly visited places as a young athlete where I was full of fear and um, afraid that the competitors were going to take something from me. And in a small place of competing, 
And I felt really contracted and limited in that space. I didn't enjoy it. I felt tight in my body and I didn't enjoy that. When I entered the space of generosity and felt free to go for it and to wish genuinely wish well for my competitors, that felt liberating to me. I felt freer in that space and my body relaxed. It was more conducive to performing at my best. I'm not saying that you can't get a lot out of yourself by uh, getting royally ticked and, <laughs> and, and really focusing on beating the competition. Um, people really milk that and they get a result out of it. But I don't find that a particularly enjoyable way to live or to compete. And I don't think we need more of that in society. So looking at how can sport be a place where we generally learn how to play and learn how to work with our mind, body, spirit in ways that enrich our lives and and we learn to play bigger. So I think there's an incredible opportunity to discover a higher level of play where the field that we create, the space between us and our competitors allows for something more. And to me, that invitation is uh, a rich opportunity for expanded growth that goes beyond some of the, the tired metaphors of um, sport as a metaphor for war and beating the competition, uh, being a battle. Absolutely. It, what strikes me is that um, it, it seems that you weren't, you didn't always have that mentality that you ran the 94 Commonwealth Games race and ended up finishing with a silver medal. Uh, Spoiler alert, Andrew. Yeah, (laughs) race is over. Um, (laughs) Amazing achievement coming from the back of the pack to winning a silver medal in front of the home crowd. But what the injury and the, the diagnosis of the fatigue and the subsequent shift to gratitude and just being in the moment and and really thrilled to be able to compete. It seemed like that injury and that obstacle created a shift in you that ended up being part of that fuel and gave you the ability to to kind of change some previous thoughts or habits. So yeah, I wasn't aware of of the fact that that was kind of a, a new mentality that really took you to the next level. And yeah, were, were you conscious of that at that time? That, that it could be utilized to your advantage? Well, I think by nature as a reflective person and life gives us always gives us opportunities to be reflective, yeah. uh, usually in the, sor- in the forms of sometimes a thump in the head. And for me, it was a literal one. Um, when, I w- when I moved from the East Coast, Nova Scotia, to the West Coast to go to university my first year, um, I got hit by a car riding my bike first semester um, and had no memory of that, woke up in the hospital. Uh, and so that put me in a reflective place of what if the lights didn't go on again? Um, it made me think about the journey I'd had with athletics and the opportunities I'd had because I was quite academically focused at the time and decided I wanted to make more space to explore my potential as an athlete. And again, I just, there were moments, the 88 Olympics, um, being so focused on 
achieving at the expense of everything else. I wanted more space to have quality in my life, not just chasing. And so that was another reflective moment. There were a series of moments that refined how I showed up and the values that I grew up with. There was a strong emphasis on contribution, being kind. Sport was held within. It's a game you're playing. Do your best, have fun, be a good sport. Um, But a lot of emphasis on achievement and working hard. And I was committed to those things. But um, there was still very much uh, an achievement, go hard, get the job done, goal-oriented approach as a younger athlete. And I did a series of personal development courses uh, around the time of, I was 20, 21. And one of them was a retreat where we had to define what success meant to us. And at that point, Um, we were doing a meditation, an exercise where you were focusing on visualizing success and I was having trouble visualizing success for me in that exercise so I stopped trying to force it and I refer to it as my Scrooge-like moment because I had a waking dream of myself as an old person where I had achieved what I wanted to achieve. I contributed to people's lives in the way that mattered to me And I was in a cabin in the woods as an old person. And there was a group uh, that had gathered to thank me for how I contributed to their lives. And they were very grateful for what I contributed, but I felt really alone as a person. And there was a small child in the cabin. And the small child took my hand and went to the door and opened the door and let all of these people in. So I was surrounded by people, but I felt incredibly alone and it was um, an an image of what I was moving towards in my life that I could contribute a lot and achieve great things but I was keeping people at arm's length and I was going to be a very lonely person if that's the way I lived my life so it shifted me I was a very private person, but it shifted me into a space of, to the extent that what I had to say was in service of other people's um, lives, I was willing to share and be seen more fully. And so it was a pivotal moment on my journey. And I had always had a passion for health and high performance. And as I took that journey in studying, health and high performance, what kept showing up again and again was how significant relationships were in um, health across every measure of health and well-being. The having caring people that you felt connected to was the most significant variable. So I kept diving into um, relationship as a foundation for health and well-being, not just personal health, but collective health. So that exploration was woven through my athletic pursuits as well. And embodiment practices, um, meditation and um, somatic psychology became threads that um, got woven in later on in the journey. So there was a coming together of a number of variables that freed me up to more fully be Mm -hmm. in the moment and open to possibilities. 
I, I get the sense that often people who run a lot are, are either running from something or running to something. Mm-hmm. And you spoke and you've written about running allowed you to feel safe and running in the woods allowed you to yeah. feel safe, especially. And I'm wondering if uh, that waking dream related to that a little bit as well. And that, that feeling of safety and, and needing to be around others. Um, or you felt that draw to be around others, but you had challenges feeling safe. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to speak to that? Yes. So um, within the model that I work with as a somatic psychotherapist and a health and performance coach, um, understanding the neurophysiology of stress, trauma, and optimal functioning, safety is foundational in order to optimize our, the states that we perform at our best in. So. Um, I didn't understand that fully as a very young athlete. And the first few years of my university education were traumatic and overwhelming. And so my ways of trying to cope with that were emotional eating. Um, And there is such overwhelm in my system at the time that people didn't feel safe necessarily at that time in my journey as well. And so, quiet time in the woods and being in the forest was a resource that helped calm my nervous system and helped me feel safe in my body in a way that was very supportive of my growth. So um, it was my refuge at the time in ways that profoundly helped me. And I found my way out of emotional eating as a coping strategy at that time as a way to um, asking what needed to be nourished and how could I nourish myself took me from a place where I was really afraid of how despairing I was at the time to a place of that being a pillar of my health where I learned how to nourish my body with what I ate, but not just with with what I ate, but with how I connect it with life. And so um, it's a place I go to when I work with people who are despairing about how stuck and scared they are about where they are. I remember my own moments of feeling so afraid um, that I couldn't, might not be able to find my way out of that and knowing that that's such a distant memory and that I found my way to freedom um, and that it's possible to bring the goodness of life um, to bear on things that feel overwhelming in ways that can shift how we experience life. And so uh, a really important piece of that was not making an identity out of where things were stuck in my life, that who I was as a person was bigger than whatever problems I was dealing with. Sometimes we can become slave to a narrative. Absolutely. And um, other people can hold us slave to the narrative as well. Yes. And in ways that makes it not safe for us to fully want to show ourselves to other people. Yeah. So um, having the, the freedom to not be held in stuck places. Um, you yeah. mentioned um, some some trauma those first few years in university. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering, was it an ideological trauma? What, what kind of trauma were you referring to that, that began the, 
the comforting yourself through the through the eating right um a combination of things i don't think okay. the bike accident helped physiologically okay. uh, a lot of adaptations adaptations to just moving away and all of that and okay. then um uh relationship trauma okay um in the the second year and um okay. profoundly overwhelmed and isolated in in shame and not knowing how to cope with that and uh turning inward with food to try and control what felt uncontrollable Mm. so uh, yeah so the woods was just your you called it your safe place um your it was a refuge a refuge yeah thank you and uh running became a way to cope with the overwhelm Mm. also so for people who perhaps aren't naturally a runner uh or don't explore in in the woods as much, or, or at least that's not their safe place. But have experienced trauma and are looking for a refuge. How would you suggest they go about that? How they go about Find, connecting to nature, or or finding their own refuge? Yeah. So, a really important principle that we work with in the whole field of interpersonal neurobiology, which is uh, a mouthful for we're social creatures wired to connect with one another and um, being able to be in caring connection really supports our well-being, but also um, turning towards what helps you feel grateful for life. So those things that automatically make you grateful for your day are an important part of building a foundation of um, supporting health within our bodies, within our physiology. And when we continually return to the goodness of life as a foundation, then the things that are difficult can be held within that broader context of the goodness. So what do you notice that makes you feel good to be alive and grateful for me from the time i was a kid being playing being outside <laughs> was where i loved to be so and it, you were the seventh of nine children right <laughs> yes so, so um so yeah. playing outside yeah, exactly. was such a, a thread in my right. my life and mm-hmm. um and it wasn't until um when I was living in Vancouver, I came across uh, the field of eco-psychology, which looks at how our connection to nature supports our health and well-being. And it put language to what I had experienced for all of those mm-hmm. years. Um, and I studied in graduate school personal transformation and social change, so looking at um, how we can support our individual health and uh, shift society in ways that support the health of our planet and the health of one another and we protect what we love so I saw how I felt such a depth of gratitude for the earth and nature when I was out on the trails um, engaged in a mindfulness practice um, that it it made me no matter how I lived I knew that I wanted to give back to the earth because I felt so nourished and sustained by that so um, it's cultivating the capacity to be in the moment and to be aware and noticing what you appreciate. So um, being able to get out of our heads and into our bodies and breath and breathe. Mm-hmm. And for me, getting out on the trails, smelling that fresh, incredibly rich, tree-rich air mm-hmm. was such uh, an enlivening thing. 
And so the wildflowers right now are blooming and the smell of the wildflowers. Um, those things affect our consciousness and inform our bodies about the nature of life. So turning towards those things that help us appreciate life, that genuinely nourish us in a way that's different than um, things that give us um, a short-term hit but undermined our health. So really nourishing our bodies and beings in ways that make us uh, more grateful for life in ways that are sustainable. So um, if you're deciding to get out for a walk, uh, turn to your senses. Notice what pleases your eyes, what listen to the birds, um, what smells good in your environment. Um, and move your awareness back and forth between your breathing in your body and what feels good and what's around you. Allow yourself to connect to the environment around you in ways that are life-affirming. Absolutely. One of the favorite things. I know Andrew loves mm. to be outdoors. He's talked about it mm -hmm. before on this podcast, and I'm sure he's going to share a little bit here. That's probably what he was about to do. But <laughs> for me, <laughs> for me, uh, we have a mountain, uh, Mount Zuhalem close to us, and that mm. is my refuge. Like yeah. when it's been a long week and it's, you know, busy time a year, I need to get away. I have this routine where I go to the bottom of the mountain and then I sort of trot the the level areas and then run up the the steep parts and it just it, it creates this this breath this rhythm of breath which i'm sure you're well aware mm -hmm. and then when you get to the top um i get to the summit there's this little uh, little cliff crag that i that i sit on with my water in a book and the eagles fly by and they mm -hmm. don't expect to see people up there so it's like a front row seat to nature yeah. and and the smells and the and the, the bees that land right beside you and, and and take their time with the flower it's just so i feel like it's it's almost like therapy Absolutely. really i feel yeah. like when i come down the mountain okay whatever whatever comes my way this week i got it mm -hmm. and it's a cleanse it mm -hmm. also feels like a cleanse of for my mind and, and my body so it is nice to find those things and often it seems to be outdoors for a lot of people well i i've never heard the term eco psychology before but it makes absolutely yeah. sense as you said it's putting words to a feeling inside of yourself so question that i was going to ask and being aware of the fact that not everyone can run up to the top of a mountain yeah isn't in that spot but do you think it's possible to be healthy mentally and, and psychologically without being healthy physically? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, what comes to mind top of head is um, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it's it's an interesting thing. I, um, I believe that this is the instrument we've got to work with. And so... The more that we uh, nourish this instrument through which consciousness flows, um, the richer our experience can be. Uh, some people have access to a consciousness that transcends our physicality in ways that they're able to transcend where they are physically. But we, we are on earth with a body and we evolved with the earth. Um, and so when we attune to the earth, and its rhythms and the rhythms of nature and life. We're working with the physicality of our body. So yes, I think it's possible to uh, have um, a consciousness that is healthy when our body is um, disintegrating. 
but it's a lot easier to live in a healthy, full, fulfilling way when we honor our physicality. Our body is uh, the, the instrument that we've got to work with while we're on earth. And when we honor that, the quality of life changes. So I believe that the journey I took in healing my body in through my relationship with food and shifting from a mind over matter attitude with no pain, no gain, milk it for all it's worth because I'm trying to achieve this goal to um, attend and befriend, learning to be gentle and compassionate with my body, cultivating reverence for it and gentleness with it shifted and prepared me for a different relationship with my environment and prepared the ground for an eco-consciousness that makes me want to live lightly on the earth and to honor the earth. And I believe that the relationship we have with our bodies has a lot to do with our ecological crisis. And when we learn to cultivate compassionate awareness and awakeness with the ground of our our earth body ourselves, it will shift what's going on ecologically in the world. And that there's a very strong relationship between those elements. Mm-hmm. Where's your level of hope for that to happen? My hope is in showing up with um, awareness myself working at my own edges of where <laughs> when I'm unconscious and inviting myself back to presence and safety and inviting others to do the same so um, my hope is in turning towards the good and the beautiful and all of the work that people are doing collectively and inviting others to do the same yeah so how and do you- so how do you go about that? How do you go to teach others to, to be present to that, uh, and it, both inside and outside of themselves? Right. Well, it's part of the work that Jason and I, it's part of my work in private practice. It's part of the work that we do with groups in cultivating healthy, high-performance cultures at work and in teams and in schools, um, cultivating self-awareness, understanding our neurophysiology, and how to work with stress, trauma, and cultivating optimal states, uh, understanding the physiology of that, and understanding the profound principle of interconnectedness, that we coexist and that um, we're more of a we than than an I, and that when we cultivate that relational ground in an embodied way, that it is life enriching and it becomes its own reward. And when you can help people get dialed into that, life is more rich and fulfilling in that space and that we can problem solve while we live better and enrich the quality of our lives. So um, I think there are lots of people trying to work at things at that level. And there's a lot of power concentrated in a consciousness that's disconnected from our interconnected reality. And so it's um, continuing to turn back to invitation to what's alive in this moment. How can we be with this? And how can we cultivate respect and honoring and life-affirming ways of being together in ways that celebrate the gift of life while we address the issues that are before us at this time? As a type A personality Mm -hmm. who, who likes to 
be in control and control my environment and, and my thoughts and things like that. The whole idea of being an openist is is like when you first said that it felt like refreshing water on a hot day. Like I knew it instantly to be true that that that's mm-hmm. what I need to go towards. But when you when you're in a state of um, I don't want to be open to everything. I want to create everything that I'm going to experience. That's how the control mind works. How how can you get yourself to to be a a place in your life where you can truly be open to whatever happens and be okay with it? You know, you use the phrase letting go. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that's part of it. Um, you know, meditation, you know, I believe, you know, has, has helped me a little bit in this. But mm-hmm. what are some other tips you could give on how we can all become more openness in our life? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we all want to have a sense of control. That's an innate, innate human need. So uh, working with the fundamental needs that we have and not denying those. And so if I'm in a state of agitation and frustration because I want to control something that I don't feel I have control, show up to that. <laughs> I'm frustrated mm-hmm. and angry. And how can I be with that? Right. So it's... The more compassion I cultivate, the easier it is to have an honest dialogue about what's showing up. And part of my training um, was in process-oriented psychology that was rooted in Jungian psychology and Eastern traditions. Um, Arnold Mandel was the founder, and he had a—he was a physicist that studied Jungian psychology and Eastern traditions. So. Um, teleology that there's an innate drive towards meaning and purpose and that there's that we're growth oriented in our in our by nature and um with that uh, the principle there's no enemies within so that's one Mm. of my interests when i'm frustrated with myself um or circumstances there's something in that that wants something to happen how can we look at the need underneath that honor it and find a more creative life-affirming way to meet those needs Mm. yeah you mentioned on your website you talk about Mm self-acceptance and that idea of there's no enemy within i think fits into that really well yeah and you say that embracing disavowed aspects of ourselves creates room for hidden powers within them Mm -hmm. which is such a healthy way of of looking at our our limiting beliefs or self-doubt or a negative thought pattern but it it seems the antithesis of how people think about their own negativity so how would one begin to make that shift and so um, when we can cultivate curiosity about why we do certain things i mean that's that's a a broad area and there's a lot of different ways to tackle that um and where shame shows up can get tricky because the physiological state of shame is so hard to deal with um whenever we can recognize that uh, what we're experiencing is part of the human experience it's not just our unique, specially flawed selves. It's part of who we are as human beings. And we happen to be experiencing that. And remembering that we're having an experience, but it's not all of who we are, creates a little space around where we're stuck and frustrated. So um, the more we can cultivate the capacity to create curiosity and openness around 
where we feel stuck and frustrated and that if there's a part of us that feels okay i can ex- expect uh, accept one to nine but tens uh, not in the deal um except that i can't accept that right now and sometimes those are places where shame lives and recognizing that that is one of the most challenging physiological states to be in and sometimes it's really helpful to have support to hold that and so We've evolved to recruit other nervous systems to hold what's difficult. And so in the company of caring others, it can be easier to hold what we can accept about ourselves in ways that might create a little more space. So thank you for the perfect segue. So I wanted to talk a little bit about when we had Jason on here and he was during that 94 race, he was in a a very difficult place himself. He was suffering from the depths of depression and maybe he'd begin to rise out of that a little bit but he was still a pretty broken person and he met you and and just your outlook on a lot of things were very dissimilar especially athletics and competition and for some reason you were still drawn you were drawn to him what did you see in jason (laughs) (laughs) well well we asked him that that question Mm -hmm. we said so if if he was a self uh self-labeled asshole at the time yeah he was not very healthy mentally or or physically and here was a person who was at, at the heights of their level of competition and which being yourself and mm-hmm. Jason was thinking that you were crazy and yet still you, you were drawn in. So I'm wondering what about him, what, what was he giving you in that time that you were looking for? Well, uh, in the beginning, he's very self-deprecating and uh, very harsh, a very harsh critic, but he didn't wear that outwardly. He showed up as a nice guy, but I didn't think our paths were aligned. And so I thought, okay, nice guy, but I'm on my path, he's on his. <laughs> and I didn't see them lining up at the time. Um, he kept showing up, wanting to spend time together. And um, I was at a space in my life where I was, I felt that uh, when I was in relationships, I felt slightly pulled off my own path. So I was really committed to being true to who I needed to be for myself and determined that I wasn't going to get pulled off a course that was authentic and right for me. And so I was very genuine with him and he just kept showing up as a kind guy who made me laugh. Mm -hmm. And I knew he had... um, some anger issues but there was a willingness to grow and he um he was kind and thoughtful and very hard on himself and so there was this person that kept showing up as kind and thoughtful who had some stuff to sort out for himself um and i could see anger around um his own journey with athletics and how he was engaged but he wasn't directing it at me or other people he was showing up as a kind thoughtful human being who when I challenged him on attitudes or whatever he shifted 
and he cared about issues that were happening in the world. When we talked about things, there was a lot of heart there. So his willingness to grow and in, we were friends for over a year before uh, we were romantically involved and um, I felt loved and cared for for who I needed to be for myself and I felt a lot of freedom to be who I needed to be without compromise um, in my journey. So it set the stage for for growth in a profound way. So there was genuineness, authenticity, and growth. I may have been more revealing of myself than he was <laughs> about what was going on inwardly for a long time, but there was kindness and caring and a willingness to grow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that inward value, or that the system of values that seemed to be perhaps covered up, uh, but you had a sense that it was it was there and mm -hmm. there was unity that that now in your lives is is so powerful and enables you to to collaborate effectively and do the amazing mm -hmm. work that you do well and one of the takeaways i think perhaps for for some of the young people listening or or doesn't matter what age you are is um, one of the signs of a healthy relationship is is a partner that doesn't force you to change who you are or stray from your values to, mm -hmm. to be with them. And, and I like how you, you said you could still may, remain true to who you were. And he, and he, he honored that and came along with that. And even though he wasn't perfect and none of us are, mm -hmm. it, it was okay then because, because of that gift he gave to you. And I think we all need to give that to, to all of our partners is, is, is honor them for who they are and not who they're not. And, um, and allow that space to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, there was authenticity and and care and right. uh, willingness to grow. If there wasn't growth, then it might be a different <laughs> <laughs> conversation. Right. But um, for me, there there's a thread that comes through that that speaks to the issue of values and society, and my. My first year university, I went back for a visit at Christmas and I was warming up uh, for a run and I picked up, um, my sister had uh, gone back to uh, graduate school for nursing and one of her books was Women's Ways of Knowing. And it was, um, it was all about um, the dominant values of society being, um, strength and independence and patriarchal values and I could see in reading that how clearly I had embraced values of strength and independence and achievement and climbing the ladder and being goal-oriented and my mom we all loved and had incredible respect for my mom who was a caregiver she was trained as a nurse she raised nine kids she looked after aunts and uncles and my grandmother um, but I remember feeling like I wanted more choices than what were available to my mom. But when I read Women's Ways of Knowing, it allowed me to embrace the more relational side of myself mm -hmm. because I could see, again, how I had been influenced by my what I took in and by what was valued. And it was liberating to, to make that connection. And so, again, that relational theme just kept showing up. But there was another thread of 
when I was in relationship, putting that before some of the things that were more important to me and getting a bit clouded about what I valued relative to what was important in the relationships. And so um, getting clarity about including myself in the circle of care in a way that I had more to give and that that capacity was strengthened by inclusion of care of self mm-hmm. and having uh, the clarity to to um, not waver from that. Yes. Yeah. I just, throughout the conversation, I, I just get a sense that your level of clarity and awareness is is very high. And I'm not sure if that's a learned behavior or if it's due to all the reflection while running that that you've experienced but are there any tools or resources that that people might be able to utilize to increase levels of awareness so the possibilities are endless aren't they (laughs) um i would say that part of that was born out of at a young age when I started, uh, I started competing at national age class level at the age of 12. And when I started to garner attention in newspapers and um, get some visibility, I saw that some adults started treating me together and that people had expectations for me. And I was a very sensitive young person. And so there was a vulnerability that came with that. And it, part of it became, if I know who I am and I know what I care about, and I'm true to that, then it, it it's my inner shield of if I'm living with integrity, then I can live with disappointing other people if I know what I'm about and what I care about and that I line up with that. So there's been different threads of attunement, the practice of just paying attention to what's alive in me and how I honor that. And so um, embodiment practices are an inherent part of my training in somatic psychotherapy, how we're aware within our bodies. But uh, making space to know what we care about, to what we're grateful about. Um, it's hard to, ha- to feel like you're living life fully if you don't know who you are and what you care about. So somewhere along the path, pausing sufficiently to take stock of that and knowing what fills your heart and what you want to give to life. Um, becomes an important part of the life process and that's constantly being refined as life gives us new information. So uh, to me, a life well lived has to have spaces for pause and reflection and creating a rhythm in the way you live your day, your week, your month, your year that allows you those pauses to to allow you to cultivate a quality of presence that's life enriching. So, um, you know, that that expression, if you're too busy to meditate, uh, <laughs> meditate a little longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be done um, cultivating a, a quality of presence that allows how you go about your day to be life enriching and to, to have that awareness. Um, it's usually easier to do that when you have a formal practice uh, sitting practice of some description. Um, so uh, some people like to do that uh, walking, but usually there's some element of uh, sitting practice that's helpful. 
Um, and beginning with, if it's, uh, I'm going to sit down for three min minutes and think about what I'm grateful for, because it's easier to turn inward when there's goodness to meet us. And when there's too much overwhelm going on, sometimes people's strategies for coping with that is getting busy or turning in other directions. Um, and, and that's not a flawed thing. It's just sometimes what we do when we don't know how to cope with our inner life. So starting by turning towards goodness and, and then noticing how that feels inside can be a good way to begin for mm -hmm. those that aren't acquainted with um, meditation practice or mindfulness. Awesome. One of the more interesting parts of your story is you used a phrase of learning to stop chasing, which for a two-time Olympian runner is such an interesting idea, <laughs> is, is your evolution of a runner of as a runner and as a human went to the next level when you learn to stop chasing which is in, integral into running and being human and that must have been such a tough change to make so wh what does it what does a what is the difference between a life that is chasing and a life that is perhaps you'd say simply open well for me, I know when I'm in rush mode and busy, it brings out the worst of me, and I feel like I'm, I'm dialing down living. So um, it's it's uh, the space of quality that comes into feeling present and awake and aware sufficiently to feel like whatever I'm engaged in, I'm living, rather than just getting through. Mm. So. Yeah, sometimes we hit those moments where we just feel like we're trying to get through. But knowing how good it feels to be in that other space, I feel like I've missed a chunk of life whenever I'm entering that other zone yeah. of just getting it done. And when I'm the light's so dim inside that uh, it lacks that quality of presence where if I'm with people, I really see them and I feel them and when I'm doing something that um, there's sufficient quality of presence to really feel like I'm in the moment. Once you uh, go to a place of feeling that level of richness, it's its own motivation and reward yeah. to, to notice when the chase space is, is active and uh, the quality of presence is dialed down so I think it becomes its own inherent um, motivation to uh, be awake and aware when we know how life-affirming that space feels to occupy so, so you're, you're rounding the bend on your last on your last time around the track and you see Angela up there did, did you feel like you were you were chasing her or did you just feel like you were just finishing the race well in that race, Angela was so far ahead. <laughs> she was in her own race. Fair enough. <laughs> but but um, it it was uh, a feeling of just being really dialed in within mm -hmm. and working with what was happening and and going for it um, in a way that yes, there's doing. There's no question. There's doing, but there's a quality of being that infuses that that. Um, doesn't feel like the doing is compromised. Mm. I'm, I wasn't um, just trying to get to the finish line. I was in the moment with with the race, which is a great metaphor for our life yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So you competed for Team Canada for 17 years, I believe. You, you represented Canada for about 17 years at, at an elite level, and you went to multiple Olympics and international competitions. And now you're at a point in your life where I would say that you're pretty enlightened and you have a, a profound sense of awareness and you, you help people overcome their own things. But you must have some vices or something. Uh, you, what are, <laughs> you just seem to... We need to feel better about ourselves. So. <laughs> you're doing too well. So tell, tell us, tell us what, what your vices might be. What, humanize it yourself well, it, a little bit. I'd be curious to hear what Matei and Jason have to say to that comment. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> um, so, of, of course, I have vices. I mean, it's funny, every time I open a bottle of uh, um, kombucha gingerade, I uh, find it so satisfying. From the, there, I have lots of healthy pleasures. Um, it's um, And yes, are there places that I go to where um, I'm distracted and... Um, not doing what would be optimal and and I'm dialed down sure of course so uh, where are my edges um, I have a love of learning and sometimes pausing the learning to engage in things that are more challenging um, uh, I aspire to be um, a liberated writer in terms of to me how we write is more important than what we write and so that's a place where I get stuck and it's um, something I want to cultivate. Um, there's lots of places where I can bump into feeling stuck or emotionally challenged. It's not that we don't go to those places. It's um, what do we do when we're there and how can we uh, turn towards others and resources to help ourselves move forward. So. Um, yeah, and yeah. you mentioned the self care and the importance mm -hmm. of self care, and and I think part of part of that is it prevents us, or at least deters us, from going to those places that compromise us and bring out the vices. Like if we're taking care of ourselves, we're not going to be compromised by our bad habits or bad thoughts because we're living more balanced. Is that is that what you were saying? Um, well, self care, yes. Um, for me, there were some just tender places that I went to along my journey that uh, when I'm off course on honoring the life within me, I feel it. Right. And I try and do my best to pay attention to that. So I just try and shorten the time in the gap between what I aspire to and, and where I am. Um, mm -hmm. And health is a strong lived value. I feel grateful that I reclaim my health. Uh, when I lost it and so it's a strong lived value um, certainly with the the two puppies that you know we have uh, yeah. sleep's been in short supply <laughs> uh, my yoga practice has fallen off uh, there are, yeah so uh, there are times in life where we hold the pieces and they don't all come together the way we aspire to and how do we work with that and make it better the next week um, so um, that's that's the process that we engage and um, mm -hmm. how can we create some spaciousness around the, the stuck places to create some movement yeah yeah so so in terms of that stuck mm -hmm. places we we live in a society right now which is full of distractions which is 
people often don't know their best remedy to get themselves unstuck or, or be resourceful. Uh, they, they get overwhelmed and then they turn on Netflix or video games or those, those great distractions. So a big part of change is just having some first steps. So going from complete distraction to complete enlightenment isn't possible. But what would you recommend as a, as a first step to begin that process? What comes to mind, first of all, is who's the person and what's the context within which that's happening. And I used to uh, say to myself, I could get lost between the kitchen and the front door in terms of distractibility. <laughs> so mindfulness and having order is important for my butterfly mind. So um, it's helpful to know what's most important to you and to have the clarity of um, how you're going to fill in your, your week, your day your plan and and it's interesting now in this age of technology of how to work with that um how to deal with emails is another you know podcast and uh technology is an interesting piece of the puzzle now as an athlete i think one of the things that helped me as much as i had we had the training schedule and um a structure to how we uh, cycled different phases of the training. One of the things that allowed me to excel as an athlete is there was what was on paper and then there was what was happening within me and what were the goals of what was on paper. And if what was on paper wasn't going to serve the goals, then I could adjust. And so it's that balance of having healthy habits that you automate the things that are important to you but you don't want to uh, put energy into making the decisions to do them every day and then having the flexibility to let go of those habits and focus on what are the things that are most important to me and have I protected the space to make those happen Um, putting the important things in um, so that things that are popping up all around me in front of me don't claim all the time without um, attention to the things that are important. So protecting the important and scheduling the things that you know you want to weave into your days and weeks, but having the flexibility to shift when um, something else serves a higher purpose and having the clarity of purpose and focus so that you can make those decisions as you navigate your day. And when you've dialed in, those practices that allow you to have that clarity, it's easier to make the decisions as you weave through your your days and weeks. And if you look at the nature of the brain, when the impulsive brain has the steering wheel, <laughs> it's hard to move forward in, in, in a way that yeah. fulfills those higher aspirations. So being in a state that's conducive to high performance involves working with your physiology and having the higher mind on board and in the driving position so that when we get bumped (laughs) we can work with it more skillfully but those are practices that we build that enable us to be more responsive in the moment as we navigate so you're an elite level athlete for decades along with an elite level athlete's lifestyle regimented you're eating you're working out and then you weren't Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you, you navigated that transition well? And what are some of the ways you did? Well, um, it's interesting because 
you hear of athletes that you know retire from their sport mm-hmm. and then they put on a hundred pounds right, yeah. uh, and they stop working out and get depressed and, yeah. and, and and what what oftentimes you see in that is that achievement and performance was a strong value but health wasn't and health never was and so for me as an athlete i'm health was always a strong value but i didn't realize that the training i was doing wasn't aligned with health until i i crashed and learned to to line those up and so the the model that i worked with and ended with as an athlete worked within a window of health and so um, I believe you can achieve more if you take care of the instrument and support health. You can also perform at a high level and undermine your health and get short-term gains. But I'm more interested in the long-term big picture. And I love being healthy. I don't, most of us don't enjoy not having uh, good health or being injured. But I'm I'm motivated to protect that in a way that I actively engage that. So um, when when you're able to look at how can I be a physical person if exercise is one piece and enjoy what I eat and create a rhythm that allows me to to plug those pieces in, I, I, they're just they're such strong lived values, and I know what the return is on those. So um, it takes a commitment and you have to decide that that's important enough. If it's not part of your habits, that you're willing to create the life space to weave those into Mm -hmm. them becoming habits because it's so easy for other things to crowd out the picture. And so at some point along the line, you have to make a decision and a commitment to figure out how you can nourish your body in ways that you enjoy what you're eating and... um, you feel nourished and for for the uh, exercise part what do you enjoy doing that you're willing to um, create enough life real estate to that you show up to it on a regular basis and for me I always say that if I lived in New York I might take up the keto or something else because fresh air on the trails is such a big part of that I love being out on the trails I feel more alive because I'm out on the trails it's life enriching so um, if I don't feel like going for a run then physically I'm really off and there's something wrong Um, and so um, I just know how good it feels to have that health and vitality that it's intrinsically motivating but if you've never experienced that then the intrinsic motivation becomes dialed down quite a bit sometimes until you're Uh, pressed against a wall where you've got a health crisis and you don't have a choice Um, so sometimes it takes that for people to make a big life shift and a commitment but it's so much more fun Mm -hmm. to find out how you can live on the upper edges of feeling uh, reasonably fit and and healthy in ways that it's just life is so much more fun and richer to have that base so once you have the experience of having that it becomes its own reward but you can be a high performance athlete and not have that experience and so you don't really know what you're missing on that in that respect Mm -hmm. i just keep hearing over and over again in this conversation as well and as in some previous episodes we've done about the importance of uncovering your value system what is more 
crucial to your own fulfillment and prioritizing that. And I just, it's, that is the key to, to experiencing joy is figuring out exactly what makes each one of us individuals tick and feel most at our peak and just ensure that there's space for that life real estate as you said yeah it's powerful and i think we we will all become better people once we're able to do that and, and once we take control of our own lives and make sure that that is part of it i would say that's very true and i would add an and uh, because you can uh, be a very driven person, a very focused person, and have values of achievement and success. And uh, I'm going to be number one, I'm going to reach the top, and nobody's going to get in my way, and very cut off from other people, and um, disconnected from parts of yourself in ways that you can accomplish a lot of things and climb a certain ladder of success. Um, without a sense of meaning and purpose um, in ways that uh, are undermining to your health and are destructive to society and other people. So um, there are examples of people that might be happy in a more limited way, but they're not grounded in a sense of um, connection to other people and life around them in an embodied way and in a life-affirming way. And without that deeper sense of per, of um, meaning and purpose, grounded in a state of uh, state of connection, um, I believe that there's limitations on what um, can be achieved in a healthy, more fulfilling, life honoring way. So, I would just add that caveat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, as we're beginning to wrap up, I just. I'm wondering if you have any requests for our listeners, for anyone listening. Well, what comes to mind uh, foremost in a way that's helpful to me is just um, asking, how do you want to celebrate your life? Um, I've, In my journey, I've touched on places where I've just felt life is a precious gift and I've felt a depth of gratitude. So how can you turn towards what makes you want to celebrate life? and makes you feel like you are celebrating life and allow that to feed you and in, inform you about how you want to take your journey. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Where can people go to find out more about the work that you do? Well, uh, the work that Jason and I do, it can be found at yourmindset.ca uh, and uh, I have a website as well, um, com. Great. And we'll definitely put lots yeah. of links to, to those in our show notes and, uh, and through our own social media. It was a pleasure to have a time Olympian in our humble little studio. And, <laughs> and we really appreciate you taking the time. We know you're busy and um, I'm, I'm just still digesting everything that's been said. It, it was such a full episode and I look forward to listening to it a number of times and catching all the gems that, that, you, that you've given us. And I, I thank you so much and I thank you on behalf of our listeners for, for share, sharing your wisdom on how to live a good life. Well, thank you, John and Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here and wonderful to have this dialogue. Thanks for the wonderful work that you're doing in your podcast. Thank you. Well, that's the episode. 
Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. We appreciate your time and attention. If we can make one request, please subscribe. How do you do that, John? They push subscribe. That's all you got to do. We also got social media, guys. We've got Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Please like us and follow us there. We also got a really fancy website. ObstacleCoursePodcast.com. That is the one. It's where you'll find our show notes and lots of other goodies. And if you have somebody who'd be great for the podcast, please let us know. Send us a message on any of those networks and we'll bring them on. Mm -hmm, For sure. We're always looking for good people. Thanks for listening. Keep pushing through those obstacles.